Last Sunday, we had the parish summit, which was more productive, uh, better experience than I could possibly have hoped for. So many of you showed up with so many great ideas. I think every organization in the parish wound up with at least one new volunteer. And um, more important than that, uh, people were really able to help me sort of frame and cast a vision for the future. If there's one message that came out loud and clear from that time together, it was this. We were made for more. We were made for more. It's not that what's happening now is bad or even insufficient exactly, but that we can do more than we're presently doing, both as individuals and as a community. This week, many of us have people who started school again, whether that's here at Christ the King, some other Catholic or public school in the city, homeschooling, whatever. We're in back-to-school time. And if, if there's any insight undergirding certainly Catholic education, and I'd maintain at least any worthwhile education any place, it's this. Hey, kid, you can do more. You were made for more and better than you are right now. Not as some sort of ongoing self-improvement program, like you're so good all on your own, you can just work harder and be better, but that God has made you for something more than you're presently doing. I experienced this in a really direct way um, my freshman year at Dowling. So like a lot of kids starting out high school, I was nervous, I was afraid, I didn't know where I'd fit in, what kind of group I'd land in. I'd played saxophone all through grade school, and so I thought, well, the band seemed as reasonable as anything else. And so I joined the marching band, and I was terrified, trying to mark time and play an instrument at the same time, and then no one to turn. It was not pretty at all. Well, at the end of the first year, Mr. Holland, the band director, pulled me aside, and he said, you know, when we come back in the fall, there are tryouts for drum major. And I said, yeah. And he said, I want you to try out. And I said, Mr. Holland, I'm, I'm one of your poorest musicians. He said, well, that's not quite true. And I said, no, I'm really, I'm a disaster on the field. And he said, you're right. You can't chew bubble gum and walk. But if you were only doing one thing, I think you'd be okay. And you can keep time, which, let's face it, not a lot of kids can do. So if you could just stand up there and be a human metronome for me, I think it'll be all right. Well, I was still really unsure, and so finally he said to me, PJ, it's true you're not the best musician in the band. You're actually probably one of the worst musicians in the band. But you've got more leadership skills than the better musicians who will be with you. So let the upperclassmen who are the better, better musicians do that part, and you just help run the team. And just a few weeks later, I found myself conducting 350 people on a ball field. See, Mr. Holland saw that something more that I was made for in me in a way that I couldn't see myself. And because of that, not only was I made better, but a whole bunch of people were made better. That's what God's calling us to in today's gospel. It's not an accident that these two parables are placed together. We tend only to hear the first part because, let's face it, most of us are more likely to be invited to somebody's house for dinner than invite somebody ourselves. And so, so we're used to the idea that if I sit in the wrong place or put my stuff in the wrong place, I might get kind of knocked down. And nobody likes being embarrassed publicly like that, right? Awkward. 
we're allergic to awkward, especially today. So, so we hear that part. I think most of us skip the second one. But Jesus very deliberately juxtaposes these two parables together. One is for the guys going to the party. The other is for the guys throwing the party. And if, if the guy going to the party and the guy throwing the party are on the same wavelength, if they've got the same idea, this whole thing can work. Listen again. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at table in the place of honor, for a more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited you both may approach you and say, give up your place to this man, and then you'll proceed with embarrassment to the lowest place. But then he says, when you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your near relatives or your wealthy neighbors in case they may invite you back and you have your reward. Rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you. See, authentic humility doesn't consist in denying our God-given gifts or talents, in subjugating ourselves unnecessarily. God doesn't delight in us making ourselves feel bad about things that are beyond our control or that are not really as big a deal as we make them. I wonder very often, this is not advocacy for bad habits, but I I genuinely wonder often as I sit in the confessional when people come in, if they stop confessing things like swearing in traffic or, or not saying my morning prayers, if they could actually find something serious underneath that they're not noticing because they're so fixed on something superficial. See, because my experience of humanity, and let's be honest, of most of you, is um, we're all pretty screwed up. None of you strike me as especially saintly today. Sorry, but you just don't. You you seem painfully ordinary, just like me. And uh, painfully ordinary people don't just have, like, chewing with their mouth open habits, right? We got problems. We got problems right here in River City. And we got to fix those problems we got to let God work in us the solution to those problems if we want to have what God actually wants to give us. Now, what is that thing that God wants to give us? See, I think the reason, I know the reason that I struggle at times, uh, spiritually, probably even psychologically, like I know the reason that I struggle at times is because I don't take God seriously with what's at offer. I tend to put myself down and imagine I'm not very good and freak out about little things and and, and then therefore not pay attention to more important things. And as a result, I miss what God has actually promised me. And when I miss it, I don't talk about it, I don't think about it, and don't talk about it, and then I can't let anybody else know about it. So to be real clear, like here's the whole gospel. This isn't just a divine rescue mission because we're all so messed up. God wants you. God, the Lord and maker of all things, the master of the universe and all it contains, the one who set the stars in their courses and bounded the depths of the sea, wants to live with you and love you personally, intimately, deeply, forever. 
That's the whole gospel. That's it, right there. Now, it's true that because of our own error and sinfulness, we've managed to put ourselves in a position where, where many of us might not be in a position to enjoy that, and we've got to fix that. That's why we do spend all the time we do in the confessional, and why we go to confession so often ourselves, because we recognize our need for ongoing conversion and change. But this is not simply about resolving a bad situation. What we've been given in Christ Jesus is better than what we had before. The way we tell our story often makes it sound like, uh, well, God had a sort of a perfectly ordered world set up, and the humans came and upset the apple cart, and so Jesus came and tipped the cart back upright. No, that's exactly not what happened. If that's what you heard, read the book again. No, 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 God set the apple cart back up, de-bruised all the apples, added a whole bunch of other fruit to it, then took you to the market and showed you a whole bunch of fruits you didn't even know existed and said, this is where you get to live with me forever. That's what's on offer. Life with God forever. And that does not begin, friends, the day you die. It's begun already, whether you notice it or not. It happened the moment the water first touched your head. It happened for most of us in infancy. It happened the moment the grace of God was first breathed into your nostrils and suffused your whole body. It happened the day you were adopted by God. Did you know that? Every one of you is adopted. I mean, you might have natural parents that you still talk to and stuff, but, but you're adopted. Like, there's papers to prove it and everything. I've got them in my office, actually. You were adopted by God on the day of your baptism. That's what makes you competent to sit where you are. This ain't open seating here. Uh, we might let guests come sometimes, but, but these are your seats. They're reserved specifically for you, have been since the day of your baptism. It's what makes you competent to come and worship here and share in what happens on the altar. Because that eternal life of heaven that's promised, the wedding banquet that we're being warned about being so careful with, happens here. Every time the Christian community gathers to celebrate the Eucharist, every time we offer the Holy Mass, the reason we have an altar and not just a table is because we really offer a sacrifice. It is a real sacrifice. It's the only sacrifice that counts, the only one that matters. That's why Paul or Barnabas or whoever wrote Hebrews, which we heard just a minute ago, that's, that's why they're so keen to point out, you're not coming close to a pillar of cloud or fire or rushing wind. You're not coming up against the earthly elements that fade. You're not even coming up against the, the old temple, which God had designed himself. You've drawn near to the face of the living God, to Jesus Christ himself, the firstborn of all creation and firstborn of the dead. The victor over death is your big brother and wants to bring you with him to live forever, starting right now. If you've never done it before, if you've never taken seriously before the call to honest conversion, to living the life of grace, to not just showing up at church and hoping bad things don't happen next week and then grumbling at the priest when they do, this is the day to change that. This is the day to recognize God rushing in. I mean, he's literally sent this fat little priest to dance around in front of you and say, wake up! There's good news here, and the good news is not simply that life doesn't have to suck as hard as it does, but that it can be limitlessly better. And that's true 
Whether we're rich or poor, sick or well, that's true whether we're old or young, tired or well-rested. It's true no matter what our suffering is right now or what we imagine our suffering might be tomorrow because our suffering itself has been redeemed. That's the sacrifice that's made perfect here. That's what's completed on our altar and on all the altars and all the Catholic churches of the world. That's the reason we fall down and worship before the Blessed Sacrament. It's not, it's not because Christ has simply magicked himself into what we do, but because he's transformed what we do. And by transforming what we do, he transforms us. Yes, friends, you were made for so much more. And so was I. In Christ Jesus, God has shown us he's got skin in the game, literally, of the human race. The only question is whether you too will play ball.